Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning. I think I might I think I might declare it a goodly morning, Andrew. Okay. I was thinking about this before the pod. I know it's unconventional sure. that Arsenal haven't played in the Premier League, but please show your workings. Well, we're still top yeah. of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. By that lovely eight point margin. Mm. Uh it was Mick Arteta's birthday this weekend. I mean, if if that's not cause for celebration, what is? Sure. We battered Spurs in the women's North London derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bukayo Saka was starring at Wembley. He's the darling of the nation, but primarily our darling. Our darling. And of course. And of course. Antonio Conte was sacked. I think that, I think that justifies the goodly morning. 100%. I think it does. I think it does. I mean, I say sacked. Technically, he left by mutual consent. (laughs) Um, To be fair, actually, this did seem pretty mutual. (laughs) They seemed to dislike each other Mm. uh, quite intensely by the end, Conte and Spurs. Yeah. I mean... It's the history of the Tottenham. What can you do? It is the history of the Tottenham. A manager comes in and everyone thinks, oh, this time, this time they've got their act together. How can it fail with serial winner Antonio Conte? How could it possibly go wrong? But they fail to take into into account one small but very fundamental thing, which is it's, it's Tottenham. It's Spurs, lads. It's their history. I'm almost intrigued to see who they appoint next, who mm. wishes to kind of tarnish their reputation with this curse. Um, some talk about Julian Nagelsmann. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, feel free, I would say, Spurs. That that feels like more of the same. Another guy who probably thinks he's 
too good to be there and we'll have one eye on the next job afterwards. Um, fine by me. Yeah, frankly. I'm not worried at all. Whoever it is, he will just be beaten down by the immutable history of the Tottenham and it will end the way these things always end with Arsenal fans laughing their tits off. By the way, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't often do this, but do you know the gossip about Julian Nagelsmann's private life during his time at Bayern? No. Right. Right. Well, he, you know, it's a football show. We don't want to go too personal, but it is related to his job. So he, as far as I understand it, he and his uh, wife separated because he began a relationship with the Bayern Munich correspondent for maybe it was Bild? Right. So that's like Mikel Arteta leaving his wife for me. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe not quite like that, is it? I'm sorry, darling. <laughs> I'm running away with Charles Watts. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I, I will be forewarning my friends on the Spurs beat the likes of Jack Pitt Brook and Charlie Eccleshare. Watch out. Julian Nagelsmann may be eyeing you up from his seat in the press conference. The potential for Share. this to be funnier than any other Tottenham manager in history has <laughs> is, is just gone through the roof. I had no idea that such a thing had happened, but there you go. And look, to each their own. You know, yeah, let people no love who they love, and that's fine. Maybe it, 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 people can even love journalists. Lena Wurtenberger was her name. Right. She was swiftly moved off the Bayern Munich beat. Um May have been some bias to that coverage. But it's counterproductive. She had a pretty good source for inside info there. I know. Must have been gutted when that was <laughs> made public. She arguably she's just doing her job well. But <laughs> a lot a lot of the job is contacts, Andrew. You you wouldn't believe some of the things I've done. Oh my god, stories. I would. I would. I would definitely <laughs> believe them. Don't you worry about it. By the way, yeah. On the subject of contact, I've got quite a lot to say about this because I I've enjoyed it. I, I firmly believe that Arsenal got Antonio Conte sacked. Okay, I had, a, I had a, actually because this is an interlol yeah. uh, arsecast. Actually, we did have, you know, we've got questions that we normally do in part two, but I think potentially we could do some of them uh, in part one as well as sort of uh, launching. Uh, why not, Andrew? Yeah, why not? And we had a question. On this very subject, from Gunnar RJ, who's at Row LDN. And he says, Do you think that Spurs would still have sacked Conte if Arsenal weren't doing so well? For example, if we were currently sat in fifth behind them, he says, I like to think our impressive season has compounded how shit they are. I think that's absolutely the case. I, I firmly believe that if we were not streaming away from them, top of the league, mm. Antonio Conte would probably still be there. I, I, not in the long term, but I think maybe they would have muddled through until the end of the season. But let's not forget, when we went there in January, was it, in the North London derby, mm -hmm. and won 2-0, thanks to, in large part to uh, Hugo Lloris's uh, brilliance in the Tottenham goal. Thank you very much. Uh they lost their minds to the extent that yeah, yeah. one of their fans got onto the pitch and tried to kick <laughs> our goalkeeper. 
I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the moment Spurs went batshit crazy with how much better than them we were. And because the, the mad thing about the situation, as I said, I think last week is they're still fourth. Like it's, it's the most hilarious crisis of all time. Antonio Conte is 0. 0.01 points per game away from being their best ever Premier League manager. <laughs> and, and yet they are in complete disarray. And a huge part of it must be how good Arsenal have been and how far ahead of them we are, given our respective trajectories mm. in their minds a year ago. I think um, that's I think that's probably true, yeah. Because, you know, you don't have to think too far back to remember, you know, the the when we went to White Hart Lane last season and it didn't go well and we lost and you know, it was not necessarily our finest hour. There was a lot of chatter, wasn't there, about how well this is how it is now and Tottenham are Tottenham are far superior. They've got a much more experienced, much more winning coach mm -hmm. than Arsenal. All of that kind of stuff. Like this was a this was a marker for the progress of both teams under these managers. And Conte on that day came out on top. But I also think very, very strongly that part of and I've said this to you before, part of why this season is the way it is, is because of how painful the end of last season was. That mm -hmm. the, the pain of that from players to manager to staff to fans, and I know we have you know a very small amount of influence over anything that happens on the pitch or whatever, but I really think this team felt those games, the Tottenham game and the uh, Newcastle game in particular, I think they felt them very keenly and have been determined not to experience anything like that again or, or to use that pain as a sort of motivating factor for this season. I really do believe that that is the case. So in that sense, while they may have won the particular battle, and I'm not saying we've won the war, but you know what I mean? It's it's that kind of a thing that, the, the what is it? He who laughs last, laughs loudest, et cetera, et cetera. All of yeah. that. I, I agree with that. And I think, I do personally think it's instructive that although we missed out on the top four last season and it was very disappointing and mm. there were some recriminations, I still remember... Uh, what the atmosphere was like during that final game when it appeared, it became clear we probably weren't going to do it and what it was like at full time, the reception mm. the players got. You know, Arteta and his project survived that setback with quite a lot of goodwill retained. Mm. And Conte is fourth and Spurs fans hate him. And I think, <laughs> and I think that a lot of that is about the fact that when you are a manager who is results are the most important currency, but when you're purely results oriented, mm -hmm. when you've got nothing else going for you, as soon as a few of those don't go your way or go awry, you find yourself in trouble. Whereas I think we're very fortunate to have a manager who has other strings to his bow in terms of having good football, a uh, long-term vision, a positive 
culture that he's helped engender between players and fans. His all own those, his own hair. His own hair. His magnificent hair. <laughs> um all those things kind of help build you that groundswell of support that enables you to have that platform to implement things in the long term. And Conte just didn't have that. Well, wasn't wasn't he supposed to you know, Tottenham have been pretty consistent by their own standards for the last number of years, right? So they've been a top four team. They've been in the Champions League. They've been in a Champions League yeah. final. Um, it is, you know, possibly the most successful period of their history in my <laughs> lifetime. What success, as Paul uh, Paul Merson might say. But, you know, in terms of their consistency. So what Conte was supposed to do was then take it on, right? Make them, <laughs> I'm laughing as I say it, but make them title challengers, right? Sure. That's sure. that's what he was supposed to do. And clearly, I mean, that's impossible, right? He is only one man, et cetera, et cetera. But what Arteta has done is different in the sense that it is most definitely a project, a, a process, all of those things that we know. So I think that in itself buys you a bit more time anyway, or it's much easier to to build up goodwill because you're coming in when basically everything's been knocked down and you've got to rebuild it, build it up again. And I think there is a bit, just generally a bit more patience for, uh, for that kind of thing instead of being at a certain level and then you're looking for it to kick on to the next level. Sort of like, you know, the, the the signings that Arsenal made to try and get back into the Champions League, those kinds of short-term signings, you know what I mean? There's sort of parallels with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting about Spurs is they've done some of those deals as well. I mean, I remember the much-hailed signing of Ivan Perisic, uh, 33-year-old left wing-back, uh, which did feel like something we might have done a few years ago. And to be fair, we tried to do <laughs> just a few years ago. Um, on the other side of the coin, they have actually signed quite a number of decent young players, players that largely Conte has refused to use. So it'll be interesting to see if they get a manager in who's actually prepared to go that route. Mm. You know, you look at them and I see some of the mistakes that we as a club have made. Unfortunately, we're in a much stronger position now. My, my hypothesis is basically that Arsenal's, uh, the, the degree to which they've outstripped Spurs this season has accelerated Conte's departure. But that even if the two were closer, significantly closer in terms of points, Arteta would have a stronger position at Arsenal because of the other facets to his management style that Conte just doesn't seem to have. Sure. And just in case anybody is in any doubt as to the distance, mm. Tottenham, <laughs> just to reiterate. Tottenham have 49 points. Arsenal have 69 points. So it's only the 20 points in the, in the difference this season, you know? Yeah, that's true. I think just that's probably enough Tottenham though, is it, for, for now? I think more than enough. Um, do you want to talk a bit about Bakayo Saka? I don't know if you watched the England game. I didn't watch the England game. I watched the two bits of things that he, he did that were clippable. Obviously, there was an assist for some guy. I don't know who scored that goal. And yeah. then a, a really, really brilliant goal from Saka himself. Do you – I mean, you probably talk to more England fans or, or fans of other clubs or anything like that. Is there any – sense outside the Arsenal supporting world that what Saka is doing is 
surprising at all? Are people going like, wow, I didn't really realize how good he was? To be honest, I think people get it now, by Mm. and large. I think if they're aware football fans, they do get it. Um, Listen, I think moments like yesterday, the goal he scored was sensational. Mm. And actually, I think the assist was almost as good. I mean, he finds a cross there that is inch perfect for Harry Kane. Uh, Yeah, no, good point. Not sure who that guy is. (laughs) But it is a really sensational little sort of cut back and drifted ball into the back post. Mm. Um, And Southgate spoke afterwards about the ruthlessness he's added to his game in terms of those finishing touches, goal scoring. And the assist, his numbers we know about, are brilliant yeah. at Arsenal this season. And when I speak to people about the, the best England eleven, increasingly, Bukayo Saka is one of the first names that people will reel off. You know, mm. uh, he's in that top three or four. And I do think that's pretty remarkable because if there's an area where England have a lot of talent, it's those wide attacking positions. Um, think about the team yesterday... Jack Grealish was on the bench. Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling weren't there, weren't in the squad. Mm. Mason Mounts played in those forward positions. Um, you know, there's plenty of players pushing for inclusion, but he is picked at the moment consistently, game in, game out, coming off the back of a World Cup where he was one of England's best players. I think, yeah, between him and Jude Bellingham, the, the they hold the future of the team in their for hands. Sure. and. Yeah, he was he was brilliant yesterday. And again, it was just another one of those moments where I sort of thought, wow, this guy's really stepping to a, a new level, you know, 21 years old. And he looks like the man at the moment. I mean, he is. Um, people call him the star boy, you know, but he's most definitely a man at this point. And the way he is consistently delivering for club and country is unbelievable for 21 years of age. I think maybe we forget just how young he is in the grand scheme of things. And and to be doing what he's doing at, at 21 years of age is, is just amazing. And I wrote about this in the blog today. I was just sort of uh, foostering around. Um, as I normally do when I write the blog, I sort of, you know, start with something and then other thoughts occur to me. And it occurred to me, that when Mikel Arteta took over at Arsenal, there was a lot of conversation about what he had done as a coach at Manchester City, right? Mm-hmm. And there were all these stories about how players like Raheem Sterling, like Leroy Sané, had developed under Arteta. He did a lot of one-on-one coaching with the wingers, which is a little bit of a surprise, I guess, because you might assume his speciality is central midfield. That's where he played. Um, he was, you know, for a long time, a, a, an attacking central midfielder, though. So I think he's got those instincts in there. And I'm sure we had a conversation or had questions about it on this podcast about like, well, you know, maybe we'll see Arteta um, develop Nicolas Pepe, you know, £72 million Nicolas Pepe. Could could Arteta's coaching be the thing to unlock him? And look, you know, it, it wasn't and it isn't and he's off in France. But Arsenal right now have got the two most impactful, well, two of the most impactful wide players in the Premier League producing on a consistent basis. Bukayo Saka with, what is his stats? It's ridiculous. 12 goals and 10 assists, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli, 13 goals and two assists, you know, in, in all competitions. And it's just interesting to note, isn't it, that that Arteta 
um, whatever people think about how he has done his job and whatever um, whatever aspects to the job they think he's best at, we're seeing the development of these two young attacking players who both both of whom 21 years of age and who are delivering with a consistency that makes you really really excited about what they can do in the future yeah uh, they and they are well, well we're just we're very lucky that yeah. we get to watch them both week in week out and one of the things that occurred to me watching England yesterday is that I think as good as Saka was in those individual moments, he has a lot more fun playing in this Arsenal team than he does in that England team. Um, Mm. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal would play this England side off the park. And it's because of those things we talk about every single week in terms of the relationships, the understanding of the system. You know, some of the complexities of Arsenal's system and the interplay between the likes of, um, you know, White and Saka and Odegaard, you just can't, replicate that at international level. It's incredibly difficult given the time constraints and also given the quality of player. I mean, his inside right midfielder is not Martin Odegaard at Wembley. It's uh, Jordan Henderson. It's not Mm. quite the same thing. No, different Uh, players. Very different players. (laughs) Uh, But so it was interesting watching him. I mean, he did have those two brilliant, brilliant moments, but there were other times where I thought, oh, you know, if he was playing for Arsenal... They'd have given him the ball a little bit earlier there, or Ben White would have made an overlapping run or found the pass sure. to him that other players couldn't quite in an England shirt. Ultimately, it's quality told, but it also made you appreciate how much the system that we have and the team that we have is set up to make the most out of those two wide players. I think they may be kind of the defining players in some ways of the tactical approach. I saw a mad stat, which was that. I think they've had more one-on-one situations with a defender than any other players in the Premier League. Wow. Absolutely by design. You know, the game is get those guys one-on-one and then let them beat their man. And Arsenal, at their best, do that very effectively, very efficiently. Mm. Um, We play to their strengths. We certainly do. Uh, And look... Uh, the way he delivers for for us and the way he delivers for for England, um, and on top of that, I don't know if it means anything to anybody else. But when you hear people talk about Bukayo Saka and what a brilliant person he is and what a great guy he is and all the rest of it, I don't know. I get a little bit of I don't know why I should feel proud about an Englishman in that sense. You know what I mean? But I. I really do uh, enjoy the fact that pretty much everybody who talks about Bukayo Saka as a footballer and as a person does so in glowing terms, regardless of, um, you know, club rivalries or, or anything like that. Well, I think it is a credit to the club. He is a credit to the club. And as an academy, you know, you want to produce players of that calibre, but big part of the focus is producing people of a high calibre. Mm. And Saka is absolutely both of those things. So I think it's inevitable. I think it's right that, that we as fans would feel that pride. He is a symbol of of the modern Arsenal mm. um, and a very fine ambassador he is too. Uh, we had a question here from Queen Gunnar at SoFire who asked, how do you think Zinchenko is going to take his revenge on Saka? I don't know if you saw this, but this is Zinchenko talking after 
England beat Ukraine 2-0. He's talking about Bakayo Saka here. He's an amazing player. Um, we knew that. Obviously, he's uh, on fire at the moment. And uh, I wish him that until the end of the season. Uh, like I said already, that there is no friends on the pitch. Unfortunately, he beat me today, but I will take revenge. <laughs> <laughs> The Ukrainian accent as well is a there is an ominous uh, tone to that. Yeah, he did. He did have, I will say, a little bit of a smile at the end there when he yeah. said he will. I, I'm hoping. He will take his revenge. Uh, I, I, obviously, the fear is crunching tackle in training. I'm hoping something much more benign, perhaps whoopee cushion in the changing room. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, some sort of practical joke would be my preference. Yeah, if you, I mean, if he is minded to take absolute real revenge, please wait until you know June. How about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, I think the Ukrainians were very, from what I gather, disappointed in their showing at Wembley. You know, it was a big showpiece game for them and a qualifier too. And they, and Zinchenko you know, as he always is, mm. was very fired up. It was interesting to see him play in central midfield. To be honest, it wasn't that different. <laughs> like he was playing yeah. almost as a right-sided central midfielder. And I was like, well, this is a bit like watching him play left-back for Arsenal, um, popping up in similar zones. But mm. he's clearly like one of the leaders of that team. And I think that's probably helped him translate to being a leader at Arsenal quite as quickly as he has. You know, he, he although he's relatively young, I think he's had that kind of authoritative role with the international side for quite some time. And that's true of a number of our current crop of players. You know, the same was true of Granit Xhaka at a young age. It's true of Martin Odegaard, um, who we hope is all right after the assault he suffered uh, over the weekend. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a that was a naughty tackle, wasn't it, from Rodri? Um, I mean, I had a lot of Manchester City fans in my <laughs> mentions yesterday after the blog I wrote about it, um, which was, you know, some of the responses were, were really very, very funny. Um, yeah. I, somehow more concerned with the uh, imagined comical harm that might come to Rodri than the actual harm that he did to, to Martin Odegaard. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> strange. It really is. It really is. I mean, if people haven't read it, I just basically said, I hope Rodri, what is it, stands on a plug, then goes on a skateboard over a mountain and blah, blah, you know, obvious Simpsons reference. And, and one guy in particular took it very, very uh, seriously and thought it was strange that a, what did he say? An influential voice in the Arsenal world is, is making statements like this, um, completely missing the fact that it was just a, a little bit of comedy. But it was, I think... Uh, just it was a bit of a naughty tackle from Rodri, wasn't it? Definitely, definitely. And do you think he? Do you think he sort of momentarily switched from the red of Spain to the light blue of Man City when he saw who it was? Oh, I'm sure um, Pep Guardiola has been whispering in his ear while he sleeps. <laughs> uh, it's no fault of Rodri on a personal level; he's been hypnotised to commit that act. Um, he's the Manchurian candidate, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It was it was a pretty ugly challenge, and and not a foul either, according to the referee. Oh, uh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but Martin Odegaard, he, he seemed all right. He seemed pretty cross about it mm. um, after the game. But if it serves as a little bit of added motivation, added spice, I can see it now. Season. I can see it now. At the Eddie had on April twenty sixth, Rodri comes steaming in. Martin Odegaard shimmies one way, flicks his hips the other way. 
nutmegs Rodri, plays a perfect pass through to Bakayo Saka, who will curl it into the top corner to make it 4-0. Meanwhile, Rodri slides directly onto a perfectly placed conveyor belt, which takes him away to a furnace where he's burnt alive. Careful uh, now. I know, I know, I know. I'll have all those, uh, you know, easily influenced young fans going out building conveyor belts. And furnaces, but, yeah. And furnaces. Yeah. What else? Was, oh, the England game. The other, the other thing that was interesting was Declan Rice played. And I watched uh, mm. this, this Declan Rice chap who played at the base of the England midfield and sort of played that game of hypothetically imagining him in an Arsenal shirt and what that might look like it's, it's it's really hard to know and I I kind of have always thought of him more as someone who could play maybe in that Granite Shaka position as well you know I, I think mm. it's sort of I think I think part of the advantage of him is he could do both but he pl- definitely played as the deepest total midfielder for England yesterday and on the ball he was fine not spectacular but there were a few sort of quite useful defensive interventions I think you know, his time playing as a centre-back means that he's able to fill in in those areas very comfortably. So I think, certainly defensively, he, he's got a lot to add. I think on the ball, it's sort of difficult to say because he, he's playing for England, he's playing for West Ham. Mm. I, I think only if and when he come, arrives in Arsenal shirt might we see how expansive or not he can truly be. I'm cu- Yeah, I'd be curious to see how he would fit in. I just had a look at his stats there yesterday, 92.9% yeah. pass accuracy. Um, did he do anything uh, on an offensive level? No, not offensive, but uh, for the offense of the team. Defensive, a um, couple of interceptions and a tackle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he was good defensively. From what I saw, he was pretty solid and his instincts you know, were sharp. Did you see the the stuff during the rounds on the internet about uh, Zinchenko and um, people saying, speculating that Zinchenko was asking him, "Are you coming? Are you coming?" Oh, really? Yeah, they yeah, have yeah, a little yeah. post game chat. It's that classic, you know, the the lip hands reading stuff. No, no, no. He didn't have his hands over his mouth, which is why people were people were saying, "I think he's saying, are you coming?" And we don't <laughs> know right. what Declan Rice said because he's got his back to us. But I'm sure there's somebody out there who can read lips through the back of somebody's head. If you there must on, be someone. If you looked on Twitter long enough, you'd find someone like that, I think. Uh, so, yeah, interesting to watch him. I mean, I, I, I do really like the player and I think he would add depth and quality and, and I think variety because, like I say, I think he can play two positions in this system. Mm. Um, I think he'd play three at a push. I think he can play centre-back at a push as well. There's but that versatility Mikel Arteta likes. He does like it. So... Yeah, that'll be an interesting one for the summer. I don't think Arsenal's interest is is going anywhere. And I think London and Arsenal makes a ton of sense for Declan Rice. But we will see. You'll see. I mean, when you say Arsenal's, you don't think Arsenal's interest is going anywhere. I think by that you mean they remain. It's going away. Let's put it like that. I I, I don't think it's a a dead end. That's not not, not what I intended to say. They remain interested in in Declan Rice. Yeah. Okay, what else is going on from an international perspective? There's a few more games to go. I think there's a Ghana game today, a Norway play tomorrow against Georgia. Scotland face Spain. Um, lots of yeah. chat about Kieran Tierney 
leaving one on Rodri there. But of course, he's a nice chap, Kieran Tierney. He would never do anything like that. Switzerland take on Israel. So Granit Xhaka likely to be involved there. I did I did look at this the other day. It was interesting to note that Xhaka only played 66 minutes of their game against Belarus. Mm. Um, maybe they just didn't they? Yeah, scored and made an assist as well. Very good assist. Um, but maybe given the scoreline, they just decided, hey, this is a guy who's how old is Granit Xhaka now? Is he thirty now or is he still twenty nine? Um, sure, twenty nine. Uh, thirty now. He's thirty. Yeah. Oh, I should know that because his birthday is the day after my birthday. So, um, so he's thirty now. So maybe they were just thinking, hey, he's thirty. We we're winning this game. We don't need to. Uh, they were three 0 up at half time. Yeah. So it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He, he, Apparently it was a good goal as well. I've not seen it, but edge of the box. Um, he's found his scoring touch again. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. I saw a nice save by Matt Turner uh, for the USA. I think they won 7-1. Mm-hmm. Um, but he made a decent stop. Um, Trossard played an hour for Belgium. Are they playing uh, again? Maybe they're yeah, playing Yeah, I today. think they may well be. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like... It feels like it, because England's games are done, I sort of feel like, oh, right, well, that must be it. But there's no, there's a whole another tranche of games. Over there the next is of today. Days. I'm just looking to see um, when are Belgium playing? I can't see. Oh, it may be this one. No, that's Switzerland, Israel. I can't see when Belgium are playing. They again. played Germany in a friendly on Tuesday. All right. Okay. That's why it didn't show up in the, uh, the thing I was looking at because it's a friendly. Yeah. Um, uh, just having a flick through. Who else is playing? Yeah, I can't remember who we've got away, to be honest. So There you go. Ghana is the one I think uh, people will be eyeing somewhat nervously, mm. I imagine, given the history there of you know, Thomas picking up the odd problem. So uh, hopefully we get all our boys back. Fingers and crossed. Healthy, despite Rodri's best efforts. Yeah. Um, right. What is, uh, what else is there? There. Are, oh, Emil Smith-Rowe, by the way. Remember him? I remember him. Mm. Um, like I was, this last year or last summer, I was a little bit surprised that he went away with England under 21s because maybe that would have been the right time to sort out that injury thing during the summer, during the off season, you know? to get it done once and for all. Maybe it hadn't got to that point yet. But this time around, I'm thinking, hey, you know what? This could be absolutely perfect for him in terms of building a little bit of match fitness ahead of the run-in. And he played for England under-21s. They beat France 4-0. He scored the first goal. Uh, And some interesting quotes from him afterwards. Um, He said... My aim is to get back into the Arsenal team. I'm desperate to be playing because the team are doing really well. It's something I want to be part of. For now, I've got to stay fit for when the manager needs me. I know the team is really on uh, on fire. I've never been in this position being left out so often, but I'm trying to work as hard as I can so I'm ready to perform. And there was a question along the same lines from Joe, who's at Red and White 11, who says, Goodly morning, fellas. Do you think Arteta's sparing use of Smith Rowe of late could be uh, to see a reaction in his behavior? Talent has never been the issue, but reading between the lines, it seems like Arteta wants him to be more professional in his conditioning, etc., um, so 
yeah, what what do you reckon? Good to see him back on the score sheet. And, and do you think it's a case that Arteta has been leaving him out to sort of provoke a reaction? Or is it because maybe the games are so high stakes at the moment, it becomes more difficult to use a player who is probably still a little bit away from being fully match fit? Yeah, I have been in the, more in the latter camp, that it's just a case of there are other players with more rhythm, more readiness to contribute mm. immediately. Um, but I do think there may be something to the question's sort of line of thought. There is a theme to some of Arteta's comments about Smith Rowe, and it does sometimes feel as if he's trying to light a fire under him. He, he mm. throws challenges down to him in a way that he doesn't always with other players. If you remember like when Eddie Nketiah was out of the team, mm. he would say things like, he's doing everything he can. It's on me if I don't pick him. Sure. With Smith Rowe, it feels like he more often will say things like, it's up to him now kind of thing. Mm. You know, he knows that I believe in his talent, but this is what he needs to produce. I do think there is a slight sense that he kind of throws the gauntlet down. And um, it's interesting, you know, Smith Rowe came into the team at the same time, really as, as guys like Martinelli and Saka. And at one stage was sort of you know, playing with them or competing with them. Mm. And I do think from the outside that they are slightly different personality types, mm -hmm. that there is kind of a, if you look at like how many minutes Saka and Martinelli play, and that's partly a physical thing, but I also think it is uh, a mental thing too, maybe in Arteta's mind. Mm. And they are so absolutely driven. Um, and I think that's probably what he's trying to elicit from Smith Rowe, whether or not that's, wise or appropriate whether or not that's possible you know different players need different approaches mm. to make them feel good to make them feel confident um so time will tell but I, I yeah i do get the sense that mikhail is trying to extract something from a meal. yeah did you do you have share that feeling? i i do actually yeah i think the talent is is obvious uh, his potential is obvious um you know, I've seen quotes from him already, you know, going back maybe 18 months or so where he's talking about how he improved his diet, the way he eats, the kind of food he eats and how that helps him uh, as a professional, that the fitness you need, all of that kind of stuff. So I don't, I think it is about an underlying desire from Arteta to get more out of Emile Smith Rowe to sort of um, challenge him in a way which he can only really answer on the pitch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's an interesting thing because as the level of this team gets higher and higher, the more you have to do to sort of keep up with it, if that makes sense. You know, you can't coast in any game if you're and I'm not accusing Smith Rowe of coasting uh, just let me make that clear but I think he is trying all the time to raise the level of not just Smith Rowe but all of his players sometimes it's public sometimes it's private you know we don't get to see 10% of it I would say 
the way that he deals with individual players. Ramsdale talking a couple of weeks ago how he's got different ways of dealing dealing with or talking to to players. You know, some of them, like you say, probably need a bit more encouragement. Some of them need the oh yeah. Well, you know, you you need to step up a little bit here. Some of them need, you know, different things. And I think he's obviously very good at that because he's getting a tune out of pretty much every player in this squad. And they're all different personalities. You know, even someone like Xhaka, who would be in inverted commas, you know, quite alpha, I guess you would say, or a lead or whatever way you want to put it. Arteta's private conversations with him were were about challenging him, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Where he said, like, I I want you to play in this position. I want you to play in the eight, but I also want you to play closer to goal. I want you to score more goals. I want you to contribute more to our build-up play and more assists. And, you know, the underlying thing, and this is what Xhaka said, the underlying thing was, well, if you don't do it, I will get someone else who can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even with someone like Xhaka, there is that level of of challenge, if you like, you know, putting it up to him to say, I know what you can do. I know what you're capable of. Show me. And I think that's kind of what's happening with Smithrow. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. The conversations we're having about Smithrow right now share some parallels with conversations we were having about Gabriel Martinelli Mm. uh, not too long ago. And he wasn't getting the minutes and Arteta seemed to be asking publicly for slightly different things from him. Um, we saw him subbed off at half time on one occasion and, and, and seemed to be being held back basically, you know, I yeah. had him on a pretty tight leash and with retrospect, that looks like he got it absolutely right because when he then brought Martinelli into the team, he kind of hasn't come out of it ever since mm. and has gone, gone on and really improved and gone from level to level. Um, Perhaps he's trying to elicit something similar from Smith Rowe. I think the only question mark, and one will only be answered in the fullness of time, is is Smith Rowe the sort of personality that responds to that? Or is he someone who needs more the arm around the shoulder, mm. the support, being told he's great and being made to feel part of things? And every player is different in that regard. That's the tack Mikel seems to be taking. Do you think, um, I mean, do you, Arteta knows him, so do you think he is, you know, that has informed the way that he is talking about him, you know, yeah, knowing his personality? So. Yeah, you would, It's not an uninformed choice. Um, maybe there's something to this idea of Emile's always been at Arsenal. Mm. There's a certain comfort in that. And he's trying to create a bit of friction. Um, mm. we, we will see how that, how that pans out. But I was delighted to see... Smith Rowe playing for the under 20 That's a great opportunity for him to get some minutes, get some fluidity, and he scored a nice, nice headed goal as well. Yeah, lovely goal. Good movement, sharp movement in the box, yeah. and, the, and the header is, is very good from close range. So, you know, I, I think pretty much everyone in our squad has got a role to play between now and the end of the season. That includes Smith Rowe, that includes Eddie Nketia, it includes Kieran Tierney, players who might be considered a little bit peripheral at this moment in time, but. You know, this is going to be a pretty epic 10-game run with some very difficult games in it. And I think if we come through it in the way that we all hope we do, we will be talking at the end of this season about telling contributions from players like that, because that's what you need. 
um, you know, the full depth of, of your squad. Will we take a, a little break and come back and do some questions? Yes, let's. Let's do that then. Uh, we do have some questions here on different things, uh, he says, frantically trying to remember whether we do or not. Uh, so we'll take a little break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to this Intolol Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog. Uh, not emotional, just a little frog in my throat there. Uh, the Arsblog uh, Discord. Uh, I fucked it up again. Uh, which you get access to, of course, if you are an Arsblog <laughs> member <laughs> on Patreon. It's the Interlow, Andrew. It's Don't worry. Interlow. Nobody cares during the Interlow. You can let your standards slip during the uh, during the Interlow. We okay. did a waffle podcast as well. Should we tell people about that? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, this is the podcast where James and I answer questions about anything and everything except... Arsenal. They're quite the they're quite the journey, each one, isn't it? There's a sort of a measure of discovery. No matter how long we've been doing these podcasts and doing the waffle podcast, there's always something slightly new to learn mm. along the way. So those are always good fun. There's a, a sort of good archive of those, and because they're not really about uh football or you know, you know the way uh, a football podcast goes out of date pretty quickly. You know, yeah. as soon as the next match is is done, these are 
These are relatively, relatively timeless. timeless. So there's a whole archive of those. So if you want to sign up, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Um, would you like Andrew, to go before first? the go questions. On. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, should I tell you about a couple of my Arsenal-related dreams? <gasps> I was going to tell you about one that I had. So, yeah, you go first, and then I'll tell you about well, the one I had last night. I've had one dream, and last night I had an Arsenal-related nightmare. Uh-oh. Which would you like first? Nightmare. Because then we can, uh, you know, soothe ourselves with a nice dream. Last night I had a bad dream that uh, Gabriel Jesus sustained a setback which ruled him out for the remainder of the season. Oh. And the club were keeping it quiet uh, and just saying like, oh, we don't really know how bad he is. But I, in my position as a reporter, knew he was Mm. out for the remainder of the season and was sort of desperately trying to rationalise that it was okay and everything was going to be fine. Right. Eddie and Ketty will be back soon. And like, that was my dream. That's how invested I am at this point. Okay. Well, I hope that's not the case, obviously. Um, My mum used to say, if you dream it, it won't come true. All right, fair enough. Which is nice when it's a bad dream, but when I tell you my good dream in a minute, okay. it's sad. That Go on, g- g- give me your good dream then. The good dream was about a week ago, and it was very straightforward. I just dreamt that we won at Anfield. <laughs> that was it. Okay. I literally had a dream that we won at Anfield, and it was like, wow, we're going to do it. We won at Anfield. Something's really okay. changed. So that was my, they were my, I mean, I'm having, a, it's quite, you know, it's my job. So it's a normal stream about work, but obviously I'm obsessed with Arsenal as well. So right. it's, my subconscious is flooded at the present point in time. Well, mine too. I've been having some mad dreams, but I, I have to make a confession here. I have developed a little bit of an addiction mm. to a French cream cheese with sea salt in it. And if you have a couple of, crackers with this cheese on it before you go to bed you get the best cheese dreams of all time you know the way people say if you eat cheese before bed you get yeah. the dreams this shit fucking works i can tell you right now it works sort of like the ayahuasca of cheese exactly exactly you know all night long these epic film dreams you know the way sometimes you wake up and you go i know i was dreaming about something but what was that but like these are like man it's like HD, fucking Technicolor, the whole lot. Uh, it's called Paisan Breton, luxurious cream cheese. Look it up. I, I recommend it to anybody whose dreams are um, inadequate. This will okay. help. Last night, I dreamed that I was training with the Arsenal team, and I was a, I was playing at left back. Okay. And... Quite a complex role. Were you sort of drifting into midfield as well? I, I was picking the ball up from from Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah. And I made a mistake and somebody tackled me and then Mikel Arteta was in charge and he replaced me in the session with Takehiro Tomiyasu. And I, as a professional player, understood completely the uh, the decision of the manager and I walked past and I gave him a little bit of a, you know, the sort of pat on the, the side and he very tenderly took my hand gave it a little squeeze as I made my way to the bench. And I sat down on the bench, which was in a nightclub. And (laughs) it was full of people. And the security guards told everyone to get out of the bench who wasn't one of the Arsenal players. But, of course, I was one of the Arsenal players, um, you know, giving encouragement to my teammates. And then Mikel Arteta came over and put his head in a pizza oven. 
which thankfully, <laughs> thankfully was not lit. But he said, oh, this is how I would cook my head if I wanted to. Wow. And from there, I can't re really remember what happened. Incredible. What could it mean? I don't know. I don't know. But I recommend this cheese, as you can hear. Right. The long and the short of it is eat the cheese. <laughs> eat the fucking cheese, guys. It's good shit. Um, Give me one second, Andrew. I just yeah. need to deal with the dog. Give me okay. a few seconds. Bye -bye. Right. I can hear you. What are you doing? Oh, okay. That's all right. She's not doing anything. I thought she was eating something. She's just sort of snoring. All right. She's noisy. Okay. okay. That's okay. Uh, we don't mind. I've got my questions. Let's go. Yeah, we don't mind dog interruptions on this podcast. We're, we're welcome. We're like a cafe that allows dogs or a pod that allows dogs. Okay. A yeah. pod a pod that allows dogs. Mm -hmm. You go first, a, then. Yeah. Do you want a question? Let's do yes, it. Yes, let's do it. Um, okay, Chop City Jason on Discord says, what do you think is the long-term plan for Ben White? If his move to right-back was primarily to get Saliba in the squad, do you think the success of it puts him at right-back long-term? Or will Arteta look to further upgrade that position at some point? Um, I mean, right now, it doesn't feel to me like it needs substantial upgrading. You know, there have been times where I've thought we could definitely do with a right back. But at this moment in time, I'm pretty happy with the right back that we've got that's playing regularly because, you know, not only is he defensively very good, he's excellent on the ball. If you haven't seen it already, Lewis uh, Ambrose did a very good tactics column on Ars blog about Ben White and, and his passing range and how much he contributes. I mean, I don't think when we signed him that the plan was for him to play right back. Nor do I. But I think sometimes in football, stuff happens and it's good, so you go with it. And I think that's kind of where we are. Um, I think he's been outstanding this season. I really do. He's, he's one of my favorite players. Uh, I just like uh, the way he plays. I mean... I don't think it's a high-priority signing, to be honest, right back. I think there are other areas of the squad where you, you would say money would be better spent or more ideally spent than, than right back. I think Ben White has been one of the best right backs in the Premier League this season, and I don't see any reason to change it. So I think... I don't know what the long-term plan is, but I just think the way he has performed has cemented his position at Arsenal as, as first-choice right-back. And he doesn't look like a guy who's like, normally, let me tell you, central defenders do not like to play fullback. Mm. They hate mm. it. You remember when Thomas Vermaelen was played at left-back for a while? Yeah. He hated I think I remember Shelney out there at one point. Shelney. I remember Johan Juru being played at right back. For most central defenders, yeah. right back or, or, or playing as a as a fullback is a fucking nightmare because Seagull and left back. I think I genuinely think that a lot of the uh, negativity around Pascal Seagan relates to him having to play as a left back for quite a protracted period. Mm. Um yeah, it's awkward for most centre backs. Yeah. It does more running. Got to take a lot of throw-ins. Yeah. It's fucking annoying. 
And um, yeah, but but the way he's slotted in there has been unbelievable. So I don't know what the long-term plan is, but I'm I'm exceptionally comfortable with Ben White at right back. Me too. Uh, I think that is his long-term uh, or certainly mid-term position at this point in time. I think he'll be there next season as well, assuming William Sleeber's contract gets sewn up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, sorry, I just realised that in, in even talking about that, I just made you all feel slightly sick and worried, but fingers crossed it all gets <laughs> sorted out. Uh, I do wonder if there might be a right-back coming in. The only reason I say that is I think Arsenal probably are going to sign a full-back in the summer because... As we talked about quite a lot last week, I think Kieran Tierney, you know, might mm-hmm. well leave the club, and I think it's possible that they will say, "Well, we like Tommy Asu at left back, and let's go for a right back." I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility because I think Arteta really likes Tommy there, so mm. that could be a way it shakes out that we do end up signing a right back. Um, but Rather I still think it'll be Ben back, White yeah. who's first choice. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay, here's one from George, who's at George H underscore 16 on Twitter. He said, now that we're good, do you think it will be harder for young players like Balagoon and Patino to break into the first 11? When we were crap, <laughs> we could throw in youngsters like Saka, Smithrow and Ketty, etc., and they would instantly improve the level of the first team. Mm, I think it will, yeah, inevitably. Uh, I I do think it is kind of a blessing of that crap period, uh, to borrow the phrasing from the question, that we almost had license to bring mm. in the likes of Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Saka. Um, you know, I, I think I spoke on here a few weeks ago about that idea of a fallow year, and you know. It enabling a rebuild in mm, some respects. For but sure, when yeah. you're competing at the top, it is that much more difficult. The standards at Arsenal have been raised um, and there will be a cost to that. You know, there may be some players who find sooner or later that they can't continue to live at those standards and it may be that academy products struggle to make the breakthrough. Mm. Um but I can't imagine us complaining about that. <laughs> I mean, there, there are a couple of things, aren't there? One is that it means if someone is breaking through from the academy, the the level is going to be really high. Yes. So if you're good enough to get into a really good team, then you're going to be a really good player. I suppose a good example of that is, is Phil Foden at Manchester City. I did like this question from... Uh, speckled Jim on the Discord, is Phil Foden's appendix an Arsenal fan? Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mention that in the England uh, conversation, but mm. you'd, I think it's certainly ruled him out of their game against uh, Liverpool, Liverpool this weekend. And yeah, we'll... I, would, I would imagine potentially for a little bit beyond that. I mean, it's, you know, it's a fairly significant medical procedure to have an appendix out. It de- I mean, it depends how bursty it gets, doesn't it? I right, think if it's yeah. just a regular out you're probably um, recovered pretty quick. But then most people who get their appendix out don't have to play Premier League football. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll wait and see. And obviously we're waiting to see what happens with Holland. Saw some suggestion that he might be a doubt for the Liverpool game, but yeah, I guess really they'll... Yeah, interesting. I, because 
obviously he pulled out of the Norway squad mm. and you know I think a lot of Arsenal fans felt quite cynical about that but these these were big games for Norway mm. that he absolutely would have wanted to play and I think was very disappointed to not be able to go I think he's visited a specialist as well I think he even maybe reported to the Norway camp and they assessed him there and declared him unfit so there is definitely a, an injury problem there um but I guess they just upgrade his software or something. That's exactly it, yeah. Uh, the, the firmware needs uh, just a reboot or whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, you can just take a part out and put yeah. another one in. But the the other side of the the level getting high is that, you know, there is potentially an advantage or a benefit to you as a football club that if you're producing good players from your academy who are capable of getting close to your first team but not quite into it, how many times have we talked about Liverpool selling players? Mm-hmm. You know, and and getting good fees for young players who haven't really done anything at Liverpool, and it's not because they're bad players; it's just because the level at Liverpool you know, has been so high that they can't get in the team. So I think you know you're looking at a financial benefit too, as long as you keep progressing and keep raising the level. I mean, let me ask you about Patino. He's doing okay, I think, at Blackpool. I've mm-hmm. uh, been in and out a little bit since. Uh, is it Mick McCarthy who's taken over there? Um, I think he's been a little bit. He is in. actually their manager now. Yeah. yeah, but what what do you think the future holds for Charlie Patino next season? Because people were thinking, hey, he goes on loan this season. He's going to come back, and he'll be ready to stake a claim for a place in the Arsenal midfield. Where I think probably another loan is going to be the best thing for him, considering his development and the progression of of the team that he will be trying to get back into. Yes, especially when you consider. You know, Jorginho came in in January. It's likely to still be here. We're talking about potentially adding another central midfield player on top of that who operates in similar positions. Uh, he's 19. He'll be 20 in October. I think another loan probably would be the best thing mm-hmm. for Charlie. Uh, and, and hopefully that would be either a Premier League club or the sort of Balogun route of, you know, a first division club in another country. Yeah. Um, I think that seems like the next step for him. I agree. Uh, I mean, I think if you're Patino and, you know, players develop physically at different stages. And I think he is somebody who probably needs to develop a little bit more physically. But the Balogun thing is so interesting, I think, for young players at Arsenal to look at and say, you know, maybe I need to expand my horizons. I, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And Charlie's, Patino's um, desire to, to play was a driving force in him going to Blackpool in the first place. You mm. know, ultimately, for his development, that's something that he and his representatives wanted, you know, that opportunity to play. And I, I think it will be very difficult to say to Charlie after 12 months of semi you know fairly regular football for Blackpool mm. do you want to come and play the old Carabao game I think he'll want to keep playing somewhere I think so and and you know if you're thinking strategically about your own career you want to spend you know the year when you turn 19 20 or whatever you know you want to be playing regularly wherever that is that is how you really develop as a player and of course you can learn things you know training at Arsenal and player training with good players and all that kind of stuff um, but I do think 
uh, he'd be better served with a with a loan somewhere. I mean, you mentioned Balagoon, and I don't have a specific question about him here, but there were some potential developments for him in terms of his international career over the yeah. course of this international break. He was called up to the England under-21 squad. He pulled out with an injury, mm-hmm. uh, unspecified injury. Then he's in Orlando, which is where the, the U.S. men's team were. There have been some discussions with their interim uh, manager or head coach or whatever whatever it is, he is eligible to play for England as he has done at under twenty one level and and previous youth levels. He's eligible for Nigeria. He's also eligible for the United States because he was born in New York. I think this is a fascinating one from his perspective because he could potentially be the star striker for the US going into the going into the next world cup that they're going to qualify for obviously because they're they're uh, hosts uh, is it three it's US Canada and Mexico isn't it 2026 yeah, yeah. so he's going to you know the potential to play in a in a world cup um what do you think he's going to do in that sense and and what impact if any do you think it might have on his arsenal career um, because he's going to have to go away and play in those, um, you know, qualifiers and all that kind of stuff. It's an interesting one. I mean, when the another uh, sort of piece of the story is when the full England squad was announced, uh, Flo put up a thing on his Instagram saying, go mm. where you are wanted in life. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing yeah. something to that. I effect. think that's basically what he said, yeah. Yeah. And he would have known that he was going to be with the under-21s probably because I think they get notified a few days before the announcement. Mm. So it did feel quite, uh, how can I say, quite orchestrated. And then turning up in Orlando, meeting with the US national team. I mean, even Gareth Southgate um, was asked about Balogun in his press conference and spoke about him, which is kind of amazing, really, for a player who... Mm you know, has has not really made an impact in the Premier League as yet, um, but is doing tremendously well on the continent. Um, I, I've got a feeling he might go for the US route. Yeah, I, I just too. think, you know, we've spoken about the move to, to France and it feels quite intelligent, quite sort of orchestrated, to use that word again, Um quite planned and I I think you know Southgate actually said it's up to the player he should go what what where his heart feels but I do wonder I don't know what Balogun's heart thinks but I do wonder if the head may rule here and he may look at this situation and think well the US are the hosts of the World Cup in 2026 it's already a growing sport in that country striker and our American listeners will doubtless tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I understand it's a bit of a problem position for that international team. Well, I mean, look at the last World Cup. That was yeah. a, that was a missing piece from that team because they do have some talented players behind there. So the chance to kind of be the face of that home World Cup and the star striker within that team is pretty substantial. And I think the football aside the profile and commercial opportunities that come with that will be substantial but also it'll be an automatic pick I mean Harry Kane 
Unfortunately, he's not going anywhere in the next few years. You know, he's going to continue as an England striker. There are others in the frame as well. Mm. A lot of competition. Um, yeah, I think he might well pick the US, and I'm sure our American listeners would be pretty excited about that prospect. For sure. I mean, I, there were sort of... it would affect things at Arsenal? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, look, the international breaks are all aligned at this point anyway, aren't they? So it's not yeah. like he'd be going away at different times. I guess it's just the fact that he would have further to travel, but then yeah. that's also no, true. If you sign... Jesus, yeah, you know. exactly. If you sign a player from South America, for example, you know, think about Alexis Sanchez and all the, the various trips that, that he had to make. I mean, to me, it makes plenty of sense for him because you know, I talked about it on, on the blog a bit over the weekend when uh, Declan Rice who had represented Ireland at underage level all the way through under 21s, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what is better, you know, with, as you say, if you're thinking with your head, what is better for your career or your status in the game? Is it to be an England international or to be an Ireland international, you know, in England, clearly that's, there's only one answer there. Right. But, Balagoon would be declaring for a country where the, and I'm talking when it comes to rice, you know, things like commercial deals and sponsorship deals and boot deals and all of those things. There's more cachet with being an England international than an Ireland one. But with Balagoon going to a huge market like the US where he could potentially be, I don't mean to say the face of the team or anything like that, but he could be one of the key players in that side for, you know, 10 years or more, I think it must be very tempting for him, for sure. And, you know, the USA qualified for, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So they will have participated in eight of the last nine World Cups. Um, there are some people who go through their whole career, you know, not playing in a World Cup. And if he declares for the US he's got a very good chance of certainly playing yeah. in one and maybe more beyond that. Um, that could be a factor in his thinking. The yeah. New, yeah. The news, uh, 275 country World Cup finals, of course, will help. Well, that's true. I mean, I guess everyone's going to, I think you and I might be playing in yeah, that way in. it's going. But I, I think, um, I think he might go that way. As I say, that feels like there's a strategy behind his career and hmm. this seems like quite a smart step. Um, within it but let's see I mean you know it could also all be a play to kind of uh, draw draw out that call up from England but mm. Southgate appears to say we're not going to get into that business of calling people up just so they don't declare for anyone else I mean that's something you know uh, Brazil have done in, in their time give people caps early on to kind of put a marker on them as, as one for the future or you know stop them playing for one of the European countries they might be eligible for. Um, England say they don't want to get into that. Mm. We shall see. There are two more friendlies, not friendlies, two more, I think are they qualifiers in the summer for England uh, in June. Um, but yeah, it's quite a top-heavy squad with a lot of attacking talent. So I do think as well as Balogun's doing, it will be difficult for him to, to get into that. Yeah. 
Let me ask you another one, just a slight follow-up, given that we're on young players and things like that. Mm. Uh, there's one here from Steve Eno, who's at Steve underscore Mallard on Twitter. He said, Ethan Nwaneri, our now 16-year-old wonder kid, scored two for the England under-17s this weekend, but there are rumours that other clubs are circling and we are about to lose him. What have you heard? It, it does sort of tie in a little bit to the to the question that we had a bit earlier, you know, if you're a young player at Arsenal right now, you can see that there is the potential for you um, to make the first team because that is part and parcel of what the club does. But at the same time, the level gets higher and higher. And of course, when players are the age that he is, they can't yet sign professional terms. There is a lot of competition for young players, a lot of, uh, how will I put this, incentives um, on the table from from other clubs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how do you view that situation? Yeah, I've heard the same things, that there's a decent chance that he could leave the club. Um, many people are interested, just as they were interested in Miles Lewis Skelly, to be fair, who you know, has committed his immediate future to Arsenal or, or is close to committing. I can't remember if it's sort of mm. announced officially or not. Um, I am relaxed about that. I feel like the club... Well, I know the club have really tried to make a case for the pathway at Arsenal. We saw Ranieri on the pitch in the Premier League, mm-hmm. uh, which was part, I think, of that package, essentially, you know, to to persuade him there was a, a pathway uh, at, at London Colney. And there's only so far we can go to keep our own academy players. I feel like... You know, there's going to be other incentives, as you mentioned, maybe financial packages from elsewhere. But if Arsenal start um, meeting every demand of players who are 15, 16 years of age, then Mm. I think potentially it sets a a tricky precedent, you know. Um, Ultimately, it's a free market and... If a player, you know, gets an offer from elsewhere that they prefer and that they want to take and they think is better for them personally, they have that freedom. Mm. Um, and I think there are just too many variables in terms of how that player might develop and grow and what they might ultimately become to sort of sweat about it too much yeah. at this stage. Yeah, look, we all want the best talent to come through, but really good young players have come and gone uh, from the Arsenal Academy down the years and there are very few that you'd have massive regrets over, you know. Um, You know, I hope he stays, I hope he fights, I hope he looks to make his career at Arsenal. If he doesn't, you know, I think we've got bigger fish to fry uh, with all due respect. And also, I think you just have to be wary. Often it's not the one player or the expected heralded name from a mm. generation that really, you know, comes through. As brilliant as Bukai Saka was uh, and is, there were many times in the academy uh, where there were others who people expected to achieve more than him. Mm. And it hasn't transpired that way for lots of different reasons. But that is the nature of development. Well, sure. Uh, and and when a player gets to about... 1920 they can often hit a plateau in terms of their own you know being brilliant at youth level doesn't translate to senior level Um, the ballad of j emmanuel thomas there you um, go you know Mm. 
I've I never saw a player tear it up at, at youth or reserve level like yeah, he, he was did. amazing. He was amazing, uh, but he is still quite good fun to watch if you ever dig out clips of him playing in Scotland because his natural gifts are still absolutely there. But um, you know, there are all kinds of reasons things sure. don't always pan out as expected. But let's see. I'd, I'd love to know to stay, but you know, there are a lot of suggestions that he may well not. Mm. Um, what about this? My scooter, Sasha. What does success look like to you for the next five years of Arsenal? <laughs> I think if you asked me before the season, I would have said consistent top four with semi-deep runs in the Champions League. But now I find myself re-evaluating that with this title charge. However, I'm not sure that's even fair of me with the way it feels like Man City has warped the success, warped what success looks like in the Premier League. What are your thoughts? I mean... You probably would have said before the start of this season the top four would have been a success for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. But you have to reevaluate. You have to reassess. You have to look at the context of of everything and where we are right now is amazing. And you know, and keeping everything crossed that that we get over the line. And I think that I think that might be the thing that influences what I think about what success means in the next five years, because. If we were to go on and win it, I think you develop a belief within the team that allows you to go on and do other things, maybe defend the title, maybe go deeper into the Champions League, maybe even win the Champions League. I'm not saying it all depends on this season, but I do think if we were to win the Premier League this season, I think that then changes the level of expectation because we understand that this is a team that can deal with the pressure, that can deal with uh, the expectation, all of those kinds of things. And I think for their own sense of belief or, or what have you, it, it will change the dynamic within the club, right? That we've done it. Look at what we've done. That The club haven't done this for 20 years and we've done it and now we're going to build on that, you know? Um, I think the the progression is obvious the fact that Arteta keeps talking about how we've got much more to do and room to improve uh, is fantastic. I really like that messaging. I like that there's no sense that we are comfortable or resting on laurels or, or anything like that. Um, so success for me would be, I mean, I've always said this, like just have a competitive team. Have a team that can compete at the top of the table and and go the distance and you know not not be sitting there in November going well, that's it then in terms of the title, uh, you know we can still play for top four or whatever it is. I think that's where I'm comfortable, but I do think that if you win something, it creates a desire and appetite for even more. And uh, I, I don't mean that just within the fan base. I mean within the team, the players themselves, because, you know, there is in football no greater feeling than than winning something, than achieving something. And I think a league title in particular is a very special achievement. Um, maybe we take it for granted in the sense that we've seen teams like Manchester City do it season after season after season. We all understand why that might be the case. But to go over 38 games and come out on top, I would say that for players is a very addictive feeling and one you would want to repeat. Uh, 
so I, I think a lot really rests on on how well we can see out these 10 games. Yeah, I think that's probably true. <clears throat> um, you know, finishing in the top four provides a kind of platform mm. for what you do going forward. And I think finishing first and winning the Premier League title is another platform in yeah. itself that takes you to kind of another level. Um, I think that I actually expect next season to be pretty challenging because we're not used to competing in the Premier League and the Champions League mm -hmm. on two fronts. Um, and I think the next few years generally are going to be challenging only only in that I think there are just a lot of big clubs who are going to be duking it out near the top of the table um, but if Arsenal can be competitive truly competitive with them then I think some pretty exciting things could happen mm. um, that's what I think sensibly uh, emotionally and instinctively I say if they win the league this season, they can take the next few years off. Genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so elated. I can dine out on that for you know four to five years. Sure, I would say. Sure, sure. People like you—that's why this club have got no ambition. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, we'll no, get it's my fault. It's all on me. It's all on you. I mean, here's a sort of related question from Charlie Barlow, who's at Chazabar on Twitter. He said. Uh, morning, guys. Arteta's mentioned we're in phase three of his five-phase plan, albeit excitingly ahead of schedule. Do you have any insight as to what to expect in phase four and five? Aliens. Yes. <laughs> Aliens on the pitch. <laughs> I, I don't know. Phase four, yeah, I mean, great answer, isn't it? It's a great answer because you also know he'll never tell us what phase four and five are. No. Um I do think that something we would we will be reminded of with Mikel Arteta that he has demonstrated already in his young managerial career is that he is absolutely ruthless. And I think when the time comes that he feels he needs to make changes, be that on the pitch, in the squad, behind the scenes, mm. to move things to another level... I don't think he will think twice about that. I think his ambition is so consuming. Mm. <laughs> it sounds like a negative, but I'm, I mean it as a positive. That I just think he will, I think he'll just do what it takes. Yeah, I um, agree. And, you know, I, I imagine that one of the things that's included in phase four and five is competing on a kind of European scale. And actually it is the blot on Arteta's record. It is the thing that is absent, really, is convincing performances in Europe. Um, and the Champions League, <laughs> I think part of the reason for that is that we've been in the Europa League and it's not been as much the focus as perhaps it, it shouldn't or, or could have been, mm. and certainly not as much the focus as the Champions League will be. I think he will know and recognise that that is the arena in which many coaches are appraised on a kind of sure. global scale. Um, I think he'll relish that challenge. Uh, okay. I think it's your one, if you have one. Yeah. Uh, sort of another one sort of looking into the future, really, from Stedasaurus. When Arteta first joined the club and I could see immediate signs of how well coached we looked, 
Uh, I felt we had to make the most of him while we had him before he inevitably went back to City. Through the way he talks and the documentary, I feel he's very much an Arsenal man. Given his journey as a player and a coach, why do you think he's so wedded to Arsenal? And do you see him staying at the club as long as Guardiola and Klopp have at theirs? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, why is he so... I mean, he was captain, came in and became a, an important first-team player. I really do think, and I've said this to you before, and we've probably talked about it a little bit before, there's something to that crazy transfer window at the end of uh, the summer of 2011 when we brought in Arteta, we brought in Per Mertesacker, etc. Yeah. That's so fascinating that these two guys, you know, and I think I love them both. I think they're both really good players. I don't know that you would have said that they're like world-class players, but both really good players. Like I wanted us to sign Arteta long before we actually did sign him. Um, but that these two guys came in at that time and things were not good. We lost Sesk. We were about to lose Nazri. Um, it was a, a really difficult summer. We'd just been beaten 8-2. These two guys came in and through their quality and their professionalism, they helped steady the Arsenal ship in a really significant way. don't think they did it all on their own, obviously, but they were really, really fundamental to that. And I think that's probably part of why Arteta feels such a connection to the club, because he had a big impact. And I know some people will, you know, roll their eyes or whatever, but we were in terrible shape and we still managed to finish top four season after season. Um, and now Arteta's the manager and Mertesacker is in charge of the academy. And I think the connection comes from coming. I mean, it's twice it's happened to Arteta. He came to Arsenal when things were a fucking mess. And we'd just been battered at Old Trafford and everyone was in uproar because of that summer and what we did and didn't do in the transfer market. It was crazy. And then he arrived in 2019 and it was a fucking mess again. Um, mm. It's quite fascinating, those parallels to his his two stints at Arsenal and the one that's that's currently ongoing. I mean, I think as long as he feels like he can realize his ambitions and the ambitions that he has for the club, he'll stay. That's, you know, that's what I think. Um, you know, at some point managers move on. We know that. Um, I'm trying not to sort of go too far into the future and, and think about him being somewhere else because, you know, I really enjoy him being here. But I think it's all about how competitive the club is, the team is, how supported he feels in the work that he's doing. I think the standards that he demands from his players are the same across the board for everybody at the club. And I would include the owners in that, that if he doesn't feel he's getting the support from the owners, you know, that might be a, a bit of a game changer for him. I, I have to say, I think they have been hugely supportive of him financially and otherwise. And, but I, you know, that's it. That's the way it is. I, you, you talked about his desire, his sort of single mindedness, all that kind of stuff. I think that is the his raison d'etre as a football manager, you know, is just to win things and to win football matches and to win trophies 
And as long as he feels like he's capable of doing that, he'll be around. Uh, he may get lured away at some point in the future. Who knows? But um, you know, I don't think that's a worry I have uh, right now. No, I, I don't think in the short term that's a huge concern. And actually, you know, how smart in retrospect does it look that Arsenal gave him that new contract at the end of last season? I know mm. the move was criticised in some quarters and maybe people felt it was premature, but at least it gives the club a position of some security over their manager, who mm. must be one of the most prized coaches in European football at this point in time. Um, so that, that I think, provides some comfort. But... Uh, Clearly, the club means an enormous deal to him. I think even Guardiola has spoken about that. And uh, in a way, in, in a way, I mean, I know competing with Pep is very difficult, but uh, in a way, quite happy for him to stay there if we can keep our manager. For sure. For sure. Um, okay, a couple of little quick ones to finish because we've got to get going. JG, who's at JMGunner87, says, you often refer to James texting you during matches. Is that an old term of phrase or have you actually boycotted WhatsApp? And if so, keen to hear why. It's just a turn of uh, phrase, isn't it? Just because we're old. Yeah. We say things like texting. Texting. I sent, yeah, I sent you an SMS. Um, yeah, we have our own WhatsApp group. Just me and you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it kicks off in there. Let yeah, me it really you. does. Holy shit, I can tell uh, you there's some mad yeah. stuff going on. It's but hard I mean, to moderate that chat. There is like, you know, you could, you know, uh, iMessage someone, couldn't you? Do people say that if you've got yeah. iPhone? Snapchat. Snapchat. I'll TikTok you in the MySpace, whatever. Exactly. No, it's WhatsApp. It is. It's WhatsApp. It's, all right. it's always WhatsApp. We're on WhatsApp like everyone else. Um, finally, Andy C needs some advice. He said, me and my wife are struggling to choose a name for my son arriving in July. What Arsenal-related name would you recommend? Got plenty wow, to choose from. I mean, listen, Bukayo is a, a beautiful name, genuinely. Um, I think it means something like... Uh, an abundance of joy or like the one who brings joy. Uh, apologies for my poor translation there. I just looked it up there and... It's, um, it's your Ruba name, isn't it? Yeah, it says joy. But the first, um, if you Google Bacayo meaning, it says Philippine sweetmeat of grated coconut fried in brown sugar. And I thought that is an odd meaning for the name, but joy, I think is what it is. Yeah. The one who adds joy or mm. brings joy. Um, God has added joy to my life. So there you go. Well, he has. That's lovely, added joy to all of our lives in Bukayo. I, I think that's pretty hard to beat. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you got any suggestions for yeah, an Arsenal? Yeah, I do. Go on. Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. So there you go. You're uh, so right. You've got loads to choose from, Andy C. You could go a William, a Ben, a Martin, an Aaron, a Kieran. There's so many, so many out there that you could choose. Gabrielle, of course, would be a very popular Gabrielle name. would be the one of the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we had a question, just one final one. It was from, boom, 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 boom. I've lost it here. Uh, but it was basically asking about the Gabriel Jesus documentary and did you watch it and what did you think of it, which is called Coming Back Stronger, a three-part little documentary on the Arsenal website. 
no, you have to forgive me. It's on my list, uh, but I've not watched it as yet. Have you? Yes. Go on. Give us your review. I, I think it's... Uh... Look, it's like any piece of hashtag content that gets produced these days. There is, you know, um, really high production values. I think the story is really interesting. You don't get to see very often a player, um, the reaction to an injury and the the work that they put in. I mean, you get to see behind the scenes quite a bit, you know, the, the rehab that he's done with um, with the Arsenal medical team, the physios, and how hard he's worked. And, you know, it's a good, feel-good piece of uh, of content that I think is, you know, if we'd suffered badly because of his absence, it might be a little more difficult to get on board with, you know. But the fact is that when he was out, the team did really, really well not to um, – be hugely affected by it. I'm not saying there weren't times that we we, uh, we didn't miss him or anything like that. Of course we did. But, you know, we were five points clear when he got injured. We were five points clear when he came back, and now we're eight points clear. So I think on that basis, it just makes it a little easier to consume. Some really interesting stuff. He seems like a great guy, super determined to get over what looked like a really bad injury. It was a bit, uh, I'm not giving any spoilers away here, but he was talking about it. He said he didn't really feel any pain. There was some discomfort and, you know, there's people in it like uh, Gary O'Driscoll, who's the club doctor, talking about, you know, that aspect of it. He didn't feel any pain and they had a look at the scans and went, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, you know, you've got to you got to come home. You've got to go for surgery, which meant cutting short his World Cup. And you know, you know how invested players are in um, appearing for their countries at the World Cup and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the ups and downs of it were, um, you know, were interesting to see and how uh, how he had to sort of stage manage his recovery. And um, I think the is it Jordan Reese? Is that the name of the the Arsenal's head physio? Mm. He says towards the end of it again, not really a big spoiler or anything like that. He says, um, you know, he's come back a, a much better athlete because of the work that he's had to put in to recover from this surgery. You know, not just the knee, but all the um, you know footballers when they don't play or if the if you have surgery, you lose a lot of muscle, so you've got to work that up, and you've got to make sure you don't get any other injuries or what have you. So it's like, I think there's three episodes, about 15 minutes each. Well worth it, I think. Uh, if you've got a quiet 45 minutes or so at any point in the in the, uh, in the the day or the week, I would recommend it during this international break. So so nice. there you go. Um, can we just, before we go as well, wish good luck to the Arsenal women who are playing a Champions League quarterfinal on Wednesday? Mm -hmm. um, against Bayern Munich oh, yeah. Yeah. at the Emirates. There are tickets available still. So if you want to get along and support, all the details uh, are on the official website. You can get tickets for that game still. So go along and support the Arsenal women. They're 1-0 down after the first leg. So they need a big, big um, performance in the, in the second leg. And hopefully with a big crowd behind them, it might help. Fingers crossed. I think they're a bit unlucky not to score mm. in Munich. So, yeah, that would be fantastic if they could get through there. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there for now. Uh, thank you very much indeed, as always, for being with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. We will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.